Today's episode of Tampering is brought to you by NetSuite. Successful companies know faster growth requires the right tools. If you're doing one, ten, or hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more, all in one place. Over 19,000 companies trust NetSuite, the world's number one cloud business system. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits at netsuite.com slash listen. That's netsuite.com slash listen. Welcome to Tampering with Sam Amick and Joe Varden. Hello and welcome to another edition of Tampering, the Athletics NBA Insiders podcast. This is Joe Varden. I am joined by my friend and colleague, Sam Amick. I am back here in the bowels of Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse for the second time since we've been doing this for uh, the Cavs debut of Andre Drummond. Sam, where are you? Joe, I am uh, at the lovely confines of my house in the uh, suburbs south of Sacramento. Um, so I'm, I'm here in the old Bat Cave. I got three games going, one of which you are at, Cavs Clippers. So we're going to have a, a friendly chat around the association and then get you back out there to watch the Andre Drummond show. Is he haven't even looked? Is he playing tonight? Oh, yeah. He played. He started. He's uh, so far. Let's see. Four points on two of six shooting. The uh, the fighting Cavs at present are 10 of 36 from the field. So that uh, portends Beautiful. To a rough night. Our uh, another friend and colleague of ours, uh, Jason Lloyd, has just walked in and is is uh, Jay Lloyd. Yeah, he, he doesn't have headphones on, so he can't hear what we're saying. And then the other thing real quick is that this is against the Clippers. And so uh, Teron Lou is here for the first time yep. since he was fired uh, during the first time out. The Cavs did a small video message uh, and then everybody in the building stood up and applauded for him. So that was pretty cool. You are in that arena that you you said you were in the bowels, uh, Joe. The bowels are a, a little less odorous with Andre Drummond, uh, you know, part of the Cavs program. How do we feel about not to take the uh, driver's seat there and, and dive into a hot topic today? But that's front and center, and you're seeing the the big fella in that jersey. Uh, quick thoughts on on that move? Yeah, I mean, the thing that um, I kept talking about during pregame, and I'm going to write about it for Monday, is you're talking about. Uh, I would I would say the most decorated player in the NBA who tr- changed teams at the at the trade deadline is Andre Drummond and he went to the second worst team in the NBA. I mean, that never happens. It's it's preposterous how the Cavs got him for how cheap um and because of his contract situation, there's a pretty good chance that he's going to be here for at least a little while. And so, um, you know, for a team like the Cavs who have just been abysmal um every waking moment since LeBron's left, this uh, offers at least a shred of trying something different and, and clawing back to respectability. So um, it's not going particularly well tonight out there again, like I said. But, uh, you know, overall, it's just um, I think that the air is a little lighter in the room tonight. Sure. So to that point and a few more and to uh, the listeners who know that we jump around the, the league quite a bit, um, there's a few threads here, but I want to make sure people know what we're going to get into on the latest tampering episode. Uh, we're going to talk trade deadline, talk calves um, and the many other moves that in the ripple effect therein. I mean, we know for the most part what these teams are now and the Cavs are at the bottom, but the, the Lakers of the world and the Clippers and the Rockets and, you know, Philly and squads like that, you know, what does this mean? Um, another thread though, like you mentioned the drum and trade, and this is one of those discussions that you know, I think is a fascinating debate. He expressed frustration 
uh, on social media because he clearly was not informed of the trade by the Pistons. I, you know, ironically, this is the same organization that when they traded for Blake Griffin, Blake complained about the Clippers not telling him about the trade and, and you know, that he wasn't going to be traded. And there's this thing that continues to happen in this era, and it's the social media problem where information travels so quickly that it's got, you know, that just creates these little firestorms. And, and this is not the exact same lane, but another topic we're going to get into today is Andre Iguodala goes to Miami and that, and that trade with Memphis, but you know, prior to that, the, the young Grizzlies players were jumping on social media and complaining about the fact that Andre, you know, hadn't reported for duty in Memphis. And just social media in general, uh, I just find it fascinating from a lot of standpoints. But to throw it your way on the Drummond thing, I think I've decided these players need to get out of their feelings a little bit. And or I think these GMs, they, they need to become like part of protocol that you almost give any player who you know you might discuss in a trade, you should probably pull them aside and tell them in advance that you simply cannot control the information, you know, to the degree that you probably need to in order to do the old school, you know, high road, classy, let you know that we're going to make this move just because of the world that we live in right now. I wonder what you think of that. Yeah, I mean, I'll just say it. Um, There are Basically, two people. Uh, it started with one, and he trained the second one, who now works for us. Um, th- there's two people that have changed the entire landscape of the NBA when it comes to the movement of player information and who finds out first. Um, and of course, we're talking about our uh, Sham Sharani, and of course, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. Um, these guys are finding out before the players, and I don't. I honestly, to this day, don't know exactly how they do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's assistant GMs who go straight to them, if it's the general manager who goes straight to them, but, um, in this day and age where, uh, players, um, are hypersensitive and, and, and their, you know, their general happiness seems to be lower and all those kinds of things. I mean, I think this is one of those things that that could be, uh, addressed, which is just taking care of the front office player relationship, um, and yeah, so you would think that that would be easy. Like, hey, we, you know, we've got something cooking with Cleveland, especially, you know, just reading coming out of Cleveland media over the last couple of days that the Cavs and the Pistons had discussed this on Wednesday, and the deal was on the table on Wednesday. So the, the right. Pistons had ample time to tell to to tell Big Drummond, and for whatever reason, just didn't get around to it. Right. Right. All right. Well, that was just a little rant to get off my chest. I just, it's funny to me that these organizations keep taking a hit PR wise. And it's like to a small degree, it seems like it's starting to formulate, you know, the league wide perception in the player community about these different franchises. So, oh, do, you know, the Clippers, they're bad people because of the Blake thing. And then the Celtics are bad people because of, and this is, that's different, but the Isaiah Thomas, you know, situation. And fair is fair when real stuff happens. I, I saw that particular one and I'm thinking, man, like just because they didn't get to the phone, you know, quickly enough, um, it's just, it's just. It, I think if I was in the front office's shoes, it's damn near impossible. Yeah, I guess so. I, I mean, I just, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I don't know what what would be the downside to giving somebody a heads up the night before that this might happen. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. I mean, I think they do need to put measures in place to to fix that. But again, that's uh, that's my own little rant. Um, let's break down some of these contenders. The, the news of today, uh, Darren Collison, according to multiple outlets, has decided to stay retired. And it's a weird world that in, in 
you know, in 2020 in the NBA, the Darren Collison is, is moving the needle in any sort of meaningful way. But post-trade deadline, when the Clippers go out and they get Marcus Morris from the Knicks and they were competing for his services with the Lakers. Um, so you had that Lakers-Clippers kind of, uh, you know, cross-staples rivalry happening on the trade deadline market. Uh, the Clippers get the better of the Lakers there. And then the Lakers, a lot of people thought on the back end would maybe, you know, get their hands on Darren. And that would be the playmaker that they need. And that's just huge void that the Lakers squad has. Uh, but lo and behold, Darren's going to stay retired. And I'm not trying to pretend that, you know, this is any sort of, you know, death knell for the Lakers by any means. I think it is. It's unfortunate. I think he would have helped them. Um, he is a guy that, that, you know, is a very capable point guard. And when I Joe looked today at the on off numbers that we've talked about before, with LeBron on that Lakers team and the question of, you know, can can they get this thing all the way to the end in June? Um, the numbers, man, they're just staggering. So they are a, a net rating of a plus 11 with LeBron when he's on the floor and they are a minus 3.6 without him. And I mean, that is just a massive, massive gap. It is. And the thing about Darren Collison though, is, is that he is not, um, I, I don't think he actually fits what they need. I, I think, that they probably needed somebody to start, um, like a starting caliber player uh, that could be that, that could that could be on the floor with LeBron and, and AD, and and Collison probably isn't that. And then, you know, I know, I mean, we want to talk a lot more about about Iguodala, but I'll just to kind of loop them in. It, it's fascinating to me the amount of attention being played being paid at the trade deadline, and buyout market, all that stuff to two players who have not been in the NBA this year. Um, <laughs> right. you know, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, Andre Iguodala has not for as, as great a shape as he looks like he's in and just as healthy as he keeps himself, uh, generally, um, he has not picked up a basketball with somebody who matters guarding him since the finals. And like, it's going to at minimum take a while to work into shape there. And then it's just like, how much of a difference is somebody that, hasn't been in the league and then in, in Collison's case chose not to play anymore because he didn't want to like he never wanted to play again that's what happens when you retire um and and now he's going to come in and save the Lakers against the Clippers like I, I can't in any way see how that would help them in that series and and the Clippers only made themselves an even tougher out by got, going going and getting a guy like Marcus Morris who the, the Lakers just don't have enough bodies to deal with with that kind of size anyway so I am puzzled by the Collison thing. Um, I think the Lakers would be better off uh, if some of these other guys get bought out. Uh, you know, like even like a Marvin Williams who's uh, going to go to the Bucks. I mean, that, that would have been helpful. You know, I think that is where they could make a difference. I can hear in the background Joe is closing the door on the Lakers' title chances. I think that's <laughs> what, what's happening there. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on some of that. I do wonder. Um, on the buyout front, and this is your past Cavs life, um, J.R. Smith reportedly going to get a workout here sometime soon. Do you have any insight whatsoever as to you talk about guys who have been on the shelf for a minute and, and who, uh, you know, we'll see if there's going to be a J.R. reunion with LeBron. What are you thinking there? Has not played a single minute of organized professional basketball since late December of 2018. Um, can't imagine in any way, shape, or form how, that, how, how he would – uh, be able to come in and, and help the Lakers uh, in a seven-game series against the Clippers. But 
I mean, we all remember sit on the sideline and, and uh, have a notepad and make sure that everybody knows time and score. I think that's what they <laughs> will pick them up for. I also think that uh, it's official that uh, I've, I've played organized basketball more recently than J.R. Smith in, in the, uh, the celebrated uh, Chris Haynes media game in the finals last year. I think, uh, or, you know, that, that's crazy, man. He's, he has not been on the floor for a long time. Uh, speaking of that, I, I think there, I, I think I saw a tweet that went out today. Is there, are we running that back? I, mean, I shouldn't say we because I didn't play at the finals uh, and I have sure. no intention whatsoever of playing next weekend in Chicago. But is there going to be another of those games? At All Star Weekend or in the finals? No, no, no. At, at All Star Weekend. In fact, I will read. I'll read it to you. This is very. This is what the listeners really uh, they want to hear. That there was this uh, media basketball game during the finals last year that was somehow streamed online by Metro Media, uh, like it had something to do with T-Mobile, I think. Um, and yeah, this uh, and Ryan Rosillo tweets uh, last year Metro Media Jam during the NBA Finals is coming to Chicago for All Star Weekend. So Sam, you better do some stretching, brother. You're gonna have to get back out there. <laughs> Wait a minute, this is definitely not what the listeners want. But um, but you know, this is real time heartache right here. I mean, I have not gotten the invitation. Uh, that clearly means I didn't show out well enough at the last game. Uh, I don't know what to make of that. I also maybe I just. I'll take the the uh, backdoor route, no pun intended, and and just say that I don't think I'm fully healthy, Joe. As, as we've chronicled on this podcast, you know the the famous scooter incident from Dallas last month. Uh, you know, got the X-ray, got a fractured elbow that's not all the way healed. I think I might have to do the J.R. Smith thing and, and maybe wait for next season. That's right. I I, I did forget forget about that and and i don't know how much of this is going to make it into the final edit with with jade but tonight in cleveland <laughs> jade's waiting for something that's that's terrible yeah yeah tonight in cleveland i think like the entire population of the city tonight is walking through the doors of this room and then sticking both hands in their pockets as they walk through to not catch the door so that is uh that, that is right. what's happening right they just want to make sure that's all right your joe is coming to us from the haunted house at disneyland Clearly, um, we we're jumping around, brother, but um, I've got some notes in front of me that, that we had kind of chewed on. And and the the Rockets small ball approach Are you tell you, you, you you're in the driver's seat this time. We can do Rockets or we can go down the Andre Road. But both of those uh, I've, I've certainly got thoughts on. Yeah, I think I, I would like to start with Houston um, just because, I mean, they are they took a giant step towards, I think, a trend that has been kind of moving in that direction except in Cleveland uh, where they now have like seven giants uh, on the floor at all times. But yeah, I mean the Rockets don't have a center now and they're going to try to compete for a championship out of the West without one. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm fascinated by this. No, me too. Uh, The backstory, you know, for maybe, I mean, I doubt we have a whole lot of casual hoops listeners on here. I think this is a pretty hardcore audience, but Nonetheless, Mike D'Antoni, obviously, you know, one of the creators of, of small ball. Everybody always calls him the founder. Let's not forget about Don Nelson and, you know, and his part in this whole small ball era. But Mike, certainly with seven seconds or less uh, time with the Phoenix Suns and going back to Boris Diaw playing the five spot for those teams, you know, and Steve Nash doing his thing, guiding the whole ship. The, you know, fast forward to this Rockets team. And what happened here is that Clint Capella just over the course of time, became a player that the Rockets, you know, front office and coaching staff decided it would just was not necessary. Um, I think the 
tipping point, if you had to kind of point to one little moment in Rockets Capella time, was the playoff series against the Warriors last year. And the fact that Kevon Looney outplaying Clint was the type of thing that nobody in the Rockets building forgot about. It was frustrating for them at the time. And then when they go into the next season and he's dealing with different health problems and injuries and they win games without him, it's just the kind of the icing on top where they say, all right, you know, the evidence is there. Uh, we don't think that we need Clint as part of the program. And, and then, you know, don't dismiss the fact that they were not just trying to plug in any wing and go small ball, no matter, you know, who that next guy was. Robert Covington is a guy who they have been pursuing for years. They had him in their program back in 2014, I believe it was. He played most of the rookie season for their G League team at the time, D League. Um, and then he played seven games for the Rockets that year, and he gets cut in training camp uh, the following year uh, at the, you know, late October at the very last minute. And then, it's, you know, basically finds his way in Philadelphia and becomes a guy who's just widely considered one of the better two-way players in the league. So they're in front of me right now on the TV and, and this Utah game that I'm watching. I mean, this is exhibit A of this experiment because you got Rudy Gobert in the middle. And what I've watched so far that is going to be, you know, it's, it's one of the many matchups that are going to be so interesting to watch is that these guys on the Jazz side, they've got Rudy Gobert out here guarding Russell Westbrook and and basically just having to, to muck it up that way. And and lo and behold, right now they're down by six or seven. But it's going to require uh, a lot of creativity on both sides. It's a you know move, counter move type of thing that if nothing else, uh, even if you don't think it's going to work to the tune of actual title contention, I think it's going to be really entertaining to watch for the rest of the year. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, uh, D'Antoni was interesting after either before. Yeah, I guess it was after they beat the Lakers in the first game doing this, saying that you had a room full of guys who didn't really know if this was going to work. And so you trotted out there against a team like the Lakers and it did work for 48 minutes. And so that kind of tells everyone, oh, you know, maybe we've got something here. And so you start to build confidence in it. And it's just fascinating. Like You're talking about totally changing the way you play for um, you know for the remainder of at least one season going into a playoffs and having a room full of guys not even knowing if it's going to work um, you know the thing that you and I have talked about a lot on this show um, over the last year or whatever that just that that night um, I, I think it was what it was, yeah it was game seven not last year a couple years ago uh, rockets and and warriors where the Rockets missed like 25 threes in a row or something like that. And they still, they're still that team, right? And so, um, you know, you you think you can run circles around them, but I I mean, you just pack it in and you zone them and you could watch easily Russell Westbrook go two of 14 from out there. And so I think that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, uh, I mean, you're going to give up second chance points like crazy, or at least that's the idea. Yes, and that's part of it. I mean, D'Antoni's counter would be, and your transition defense is going to be stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, going to, you're going to get out to shooters and be stronger in that regard. Um, you know, the the other subtext that's got to be mentioned quickly at the top is P.J. Tucker is at the center of all of this, pun intended. But what's funny for me, um, this is a good problem to have, but at the athletic you know, writing wise, yeah, we do occasionally. We will we'll do interviews with certain guys and we'll develop stories. And as you can relate to, Joe, sometimes you, you might work on a story in January and it doesn't run until March, right? Well, I chatted with PJ Tucker a while back and I, I probably 
not probably, I'm going to still write something about PJ at some point. The one little part of our interview that unfortunately now just no longer is relevant is because uh, his contract situation changed as of today. According to Shams, the Rockets picked up the uh, the last year of his deal for next year, guaranteed all of it. And, and that matters because of this. I give them credit for at least doing right by PJ. Uh, and that's the least they could have done. But when I talked to PJ for this story, we talked about his contract situation because I was aware that he was hoping for an extension and he was frustrated by it. And I tried to, to get him to talk about it a while back uh, when I was in Houston. He just didn't feel like it. When I caught him in Sacramento, we did chat about it. And again, to be clear to the listeners, this is a quote from a few weeks ago before the Rockets picked up the, you know, the rest of his uh, deal for next season. The quote is this. Yeah, of course, he says he's frustrated. As a player, you, you want it. You feel uh, you feel like the love, if you do what you're supposed to do, you feel like the love of the team is deserved. Uh, the other guys sign extensions, do different things. You want that same thing. If you feel like you've done enough and that you've given what you can give for the team, you want that team to show you that appreciation. When they, end quote, when they made this move and decided to go small and decided to put such a weighty load on PJ, my first thought was just like, man, like, this dude already thought he was not getting paid market value. This guy already was feeling frustrated because of the extension thing. And now you want him to go just battle with giants every single night. Um, I think picking up next year is the right thing to do. And I think it helps. Um, but PJ with that whole kind of, you know, look at it. PJ is just, he's at the center of this whole thing. And he's a, a guy who's going to have a lot to do with how these playoffs finish up. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you talk about battling with giants. Um, I mean, the Lakers obviously are enormous with JaVale and Anthony in the same starting lineup. And then the Clippers, I guess, really aren't, you know, I mean, Zubats, I mean, he's, he's a big guy, but he's not enormous. Um, so, so they're a little bit smaller, but, but I mean, the, the game that, were that we have on the screens right now um, is a really a potential four or five matchup. Uh, you're talking about the Jazz and the Rockets, and that would just be uh, a mess. Um, <laughs> having to go four to seven games uh, at six foot six. I don't know though, man. I don't know. I mean, you got days off in between. They're up by eight right now. Um, that's the argument. I think that it could work, and they could maybe knock them off. Is it's the playoff structure? Because um, I just think the fatigue factor. And, and, and again, the load that it puts on him is going to be tougher in the regular season than it is in the playoffs. We'll see where they go defensively. They're middle of the road right now. Last I looked, they were 14th or 15th in defensive rating. I mean, Covington had a, a just a bang-up debut the other night when they beat the Lakers. And then, you know, I didn't actually watch the game, and I still don't understand what in the heck happened, but they just got smoked by Phoenix uh, the following night. And, you know, I know it was a, a much different outing for Covington, but... That's going to be something to watch uh, for the rest of the way. Um, we kind of alluded to this before. Um, I had a hell of a time and enjoyed talking to the one and only Andre Iguodala uh, on Friday night. And and I was looking forward to getting your thoughts on, on this debate that has kind of arisen the past couple of weeks. Um, again, quick recap. If anybody didn't follow this story, um, you know, Andre gets traded from the Warriors to Memphis last July. Part of the maneuverings that uh, the Warriors chose to do when Kevin Durant goes to Brooklyn, they decide they want to get something in return. D'Angelo Russell is coming their way, but that required getting out from underneath Andre's contract. He's got to go to Memphis. Uh, we learned pretty quickly he has no intentions of reporting to Memphis. And 
for most of the season, everybody seemed to be somewhat comfortable with this arrangement that it was just going to, you know, wait for the trade deadline, see if the Grizzlies can get, you know, a first round pick or, or what they want for him. And then he would be on his way. If they didn't trade him, everybody assumed that they would buy him out on the back end, even though they claimed they wouldn't. It, well, I thought it was going to be that clean. It, at near the end of it, it looked like it was going to be that clean. But then here come the young, upstart, confident Grizzlies players who have a lot of reason to, to be feeling, you know, a little swagger about what they've done this year. And Dylan Brooks starts it off on Twitter, makes a few comments about how, you know, he's looking forward to, uh, to getting around players who want to play with them. And he kind of takes a shot at Andre and John Morant retweets it and gives his own two cents. What Andre and I talked about and that I didn't think had been explored that much is that, you know, within the scope of those couple of weeks, it's a fun little back and forth, like old guy, new guy, you know, younger guys going at each other a little bit. But I I found it so odd because it's like these young dudes are not aware that Andre has been at the head of the line in terms of the player empowerment movement as much as anybody who's not a superstar in this NBA. He's been the VP of the National Basketball Players Association, or one of the VPs, since 2013. Um, He's rewritten the script, so to speak, a couple of times, in my opinion, in terms of players deciding what they want to do and thinking in unconventional ways about how to get there. When he went to the Warriors in the first place from Denver, they did not have cap room, but he told the Warriors that he wanted to come anyway. They ended up making a bunch of trades with Utah to clear room, and he got what he wanted, even though there were obstacles. He does it again a couple times after that, just getting bigger contracts than you know the market seemed to indicate that he was going to get. Um, so a lot of layers to it. But uh, where do you fall on on this whole question of whether or not Andre, you know, handled this in, in the proper manner? Are you finding his way to the Heat? So th- the Grizzlies, when they traded for him, and this whole thing started in training camp, um, didn't really seem to have a problem with him not showing up. In fact, I mean, they didn't find him. Um, they didn't make a, a big stink about this, and I think there was all. Excuse me. Some this just this general agreement that he was going to stay away from the team until they could figure out what to do with them. So, in this particular case, I start there. Um, this was okay for this was okay with the Grizzlies front office. They knew what that trade was supposed to be for. They did not trade for him so they could um, make themselves a better basketball team this year. Um, you know the Warriors uh, had the, the Warriors had to to make that move uh, for salary cap reasons, uh, given everything that happened to them last summer. So, you know, okay. In this case, it's okay. It it does feel funny, right? It feels weird that uh, the Grizzlies turn themselves into a playoff contending team. They have these really fun young guys. You, you might say, well, wait a minute. Why can't uh, Andre just play along, you know, for the for the last however many games with those guys, um, and and really kind of teach them and maybe help them get into the playoffs? And then when he becomes a free agent, he can go wherever. Um, you know, I, I typically fall on the side of of player empowerment, so uh, you know, I'm okay. I, I mean, overall, I'm okay with it. But but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's certainly it's it's a funny thing. Right. It's just it's funny because the Grizzlies aren't terrible. They turned out not to be in the kind of situation where you would allow a veteran who's been to the last five consecutive finals who doesn't want to play on a lousy team um, who kind of got caught up in the salary cap game. Um, You know, they turned out not to be that that group. And so it it, it might have been nice. Right. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, my read on it is this. Uh, I just, I'm incredibly fascinated by Andre's ability to cut through a lot of the human dynamics and be a master when it comes to everything from leverage just to negotiating one-on-one and to making the right tactical moves um, to get, you know, to maximize his own earnings and also his own opportunity basketball-wise and to put himself in as positive a situation as possible. So let's say that he did what you're talking about. He he sees that they have a little promise and a couple months before the trade deadline, he says, you know what, let me just roll out to Memphis and go help these young dudes out. That's all well and good. It could have been a fun run. They make the playoffs. Andre's part of it. Sounds great. This summer in free agency, um, there is not a lot of money to begin with. Uh, there is even less money from teams that are contenders. And I'm trying to pull up a paragraph that I had written that is in this story. And if you feel like diving into the topic, it'll be up on The Athletic on Monday at some point, uh, the entire interview. But the only teams with cap space that's in you know the, the Andre Iguodala territory this summer uh, are Atlanta, Charlotte, Detroit, New York, and Phoenix. Dallas could get there if Tim Hardaway Jr. opts out of his contract. New Orleans, if they lose Brandon Ingram, and he's a restricted free agent. But if they let go of him, they would have that kind of space. Miami does now, but they didn't before. Point is this. if you, Andre's looking at this going that if he does any other play, if he goes to Memphis and then he just becomes a free agent this summer, he's potentially signing for something between you know, a minimum to, to play for a contender or, and I looked into this today with our, our Warriors beat writer, uh, Anthony Slater, if he goes back to the Warriors, the max that they could have paid him was the taxpayer mid-level exception around $6 million. He just got $15 million on an extension from the Heat next year. It's a two-year extension, but only one year is guaranteed. Um, I mean, that's savvy stuff. And I get that if you're Dylan or your jaw, your head's not in that space. Um, but but I think it maybe should be. You know what I mean? And not them individually, but just that is that is what is happening in today's game is people like Andre and the Chris Pauls and LeBrons of the world are saying, like, do, do not be afraid to on that chessboard to look a few moves ahead. And in this case, I mean, Andre did it again. The guy at this age at 36, like you said earlier, without having been on the court for quite some time and really no recent evidence at all that he's still a high-level basketball player, just got himself paid for $15 million next year. So way above market value based on what was available this coming summer. And also, by the way, on a team that, that's going to contend, which is, to me, it's just, it's impressive. It is impressive. And in part of it, I, I was mentioning this earlier, but I, like, I'm not entirely sure what he has left. Having not played um, since the finals, he's got to be as healthy as he's been in a long time. And he got to do some stuff in the finals last year. But I, I mean, I thought that his sort of what he was producing uh, on the floor, I mean, in some of the playoff situations, I mean, was not what you're used to with Iguodala. So I think, you know, given him this large extension that the Heat gave him, I, I, I mean, geez, it's kind of a risk. I mean, we're talking about somebody who is, I mean, he's 35 now, right? Or is he actually 36? He's 36. Uh, I, I don't want to kill those two kids, though. Um because sports, especially the NBA, especially during the regular season, has gotten away from this. It's gotten away from the idea of playing to win. Um, we hear so much about how the regular season doesn't matter and, you know, lots of stuff about player development, this and that, and everybody's friends in, in because of AAU and whatever. 
And so now you have here these two kids who combined, I think, are 40 years old. And they are, um, you know, taking on this old vet for not wanting 45, to play. 45. Yeah, all right, whatever. Like yeah. n- not wanting to play with them while they're winning. And so I, I, I kind of actually admire them for that attitude as well. Which is fair. And, and to that point about age, I, I kind of laughed. I was trying to do the math on the fact that when Andre did his first kind of baller player empowerment move, the one I referenced when he went to Denver, from Denver to Golden State, John Moran was 13 years old. You know what I mean? Like that's the other element here is like it should not expect these dudes to know his entire resume. Um, for for what it's worth, he definitely he, he he walked a funny line. Andre did when I asked him directly about how he felt about those guys and their social media stuff. And, and again, if anybody missed it, not only did they speak out, but Steph Curry ended up in, a, in kind of a lighthearted way, clapping back on Instagram, putting up a picture of Andre holding the NBA, uh, NBA Finals MVP trophy in 2015 with the emoji of, you know, like just be quiet, shh, you know, finger to the lips type thing. Um, Andre said, and I'm paraphrasing here, it's not in front of me, but he said, man, it's all love. Like those guys are players to me. And, mental health, physical health, you know, retirement, all those things, like all players, like I'm going to support all of them. And I know what comes with social media. And he had, it wasn't shade, but I, I, I did grant a little bit when he said it, because he, he's got a little reference to, you know, I know what it is when you, when you deal with millennials and he threw the old millennial phrase in there. Uh, and it, I mean, it is, there's an age gap here. He's 36, Jaws 20. I mean, he, he could be his father if he got an early start. So he- um, you know what's fun with this, by the way, is um, I mean Steph, right? Steph gets on social media and and kind of sticks up, takes up for his old uh, his old teammate. When in actuality, uh, what Steph and maybe even Clay and the Warriors are going to do this year is way closer to the uh, Ja Brooks uh, line of thinking that you play. Um, the Warriors are going nowhere, obviously, right? They're, they're not going to even smell the playoffs. And Steph and Clay have played as much basketball over the last five years as anyone, and they've missed all this time with injury. And both still may come back and play this year. I find that fascinating. Um, whereas Iguodala was basically of the mind of, look, uh, I'm not playing this year uh, for a garbage team. I'm just not going to do it. And um, you know the Warriors for this year are garbage. Again, it's and, not, and they're it's not that play. simple, though, right? I mean, they those guys are paid. Those guys are are paid for you know years to come. Um, if he goes to Memphis, you lose the ability to tell all those other teams that you mean business about possibly sitting out, and that is what gives you leverage to tell Miami you want an extra year. When really you have like the audacity of asking for the extra year to begin with is impressive and then to get it is even more impressive. So uh, I don't know. We're, we're kind of talking in circles on this one, but I hear you on the parallel. I think there's a pretty significant difference because he was navigating his own contract situation and those guys aren't, those guys are just trying to think about development and, and especially now. And honestly, this is probably a good way to, we could probably spend the next 10 minutes kind of uh, with a strong finish here on the pod, breaking down that, that warriors trade because the Andrew Wiggins deal with Minnesota to me, when it comes to Steph and clay playing and when it comes to the way they should look at that, they've got very legitimate basketball reasons now to try to, to learn about his game, to try to fit in with him a little bit as they go into next year. Cause if you want to be elite again, like they plan on being next year and you've got 
you know, perhaps the league's biggest question mark and enigma on your team now, and Andrew Wiggins, uh, I think this time from now until the end of the regular season is actually pretty important for them. I mean, as you know, we were talking about on the pod last week with with John, um, the, the Warriors, even with uh, with Wiggins, like they, they are not who they once were. And that's including when the two uh, Gunners come back, because what took them from being a really good team into one of the great teams of all time was is they had all this top line super firepower, which they still have. But then they had the Iguodalas and the Livingstons and uh, just the, the role player who can come in off the bench or be that fifth starter and, and really change things by doing the small stuff. And now they, they, they just – they still don't have that. I, I don't think they have anywhere close to that. So um, it will be interesting to see those four. You know, you talk about Draymond, Steph, maybe Clay. I'm not actually convinced that happens, Sam. Yeah, um, I don't think the Clay thing happens, no. Well, but, but I mean Bob did say on the telecast last night, the, the ABC game, um, he, he did say there was a chance that could happen. And so okay. he, even, you know, the Warriors front office isn't ruling I mean, it Clay's out. been out there. I was there, shoot, three weeks ago at this point. And and I, as you know, I I don't get down to Warriors games like I used to this season for obvious reasons. But um, I was at Chase Center a couple hours before they played Denver, and sure enough, I look out there and Clay was in a full jersey doing his thing, you know. And and there's a far cry from looking like you could play pickup, you know, with a bunch of scrubs to playing NBA basketball. But looked like he was moving well. Um, he had his you know semi pro headband on and. And looking uh, like Will Ferrell in that he movie, but like you know that that I mean that I I think if if you you know if we even debated that trade real quickly here because it's been talked about ad nauseum. I've listened to a lot of commentary. Uh, I enjoyed the podcast that our our colleagues uh, Tim Kawakami and Anthony Slater, Marcus Thompson on the the All Eighty Two podcast they did, or I'm sorry, and plus minus they did a breakdown, and there was a lot of negative commentary about the Warriors not getting enough, right? And and the idea that Minnesota had showed its hand. Minnesota, everybody knew they were in love with D'Angelo Russell. And so why don't you just put him over the barrel? You know what I mean? And wait till the summer and get more, get more. And there, again, this is a theme. Like we always break down. It's the combination of the human component of pro sports in this league and transactions, but also, you know, just the, the, the deal making. And in this one, if I'm getting Andrew Wiggins, I want some time going into next season to see what I think. Uh, because first of all, if it's a train wreck, then I got to start thinking about the next thing. And, and, you know, maybe it is. But next year is extremely important for them. And, and I think they need him in their program, start putting their hands on him and, and kind of forming him into one of them rather than spending a few more months with D'Angelo Russell, who the more I listen to, the more people I talk to, I just think not that it was getting, you know, untenable by any means, um, but I don't think it was like the most pleasant thing. This guy knew that he was a short timer and he knew that they weren't committed to him. And I think it was getting uh, mildly uncomfortable as, as he kind of waited around to find out what his future held. Do you think and and I mean, had they held on to him now, then you're talking about almost surely moving him in the summer. Right. And then it's like the only question is, do you get another first rounder for him? I think that's really all we're talking about. Right. And 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 that is a long term play. And that is a sure it plays well on media where you, quote unquote, win the deal more than you might have otherwise. Um, but that does not take into account. And I, I think this is fair to share last night at the Kings game. I was actually having this debate 
with longtime Kings man Jerry Reynolds, former head coach, former GM. He's done everything in this league. He's now, uh, you know, been doing TV for the longest time. And and Jerry and I were were breaking that down, and and he did agree with the way I was looking at it, which is no, you don't you don't spend the next four months of capital, um, you know, just with D'Angelo not really happy to be there anymore because he knows he's going to be on the move. Um, D'Angelo not playing his best basketball because he's being asked to play differently. Um, when you knew you could have had that entire time to start getting to know Andrew Wiggins, you don't do all of that uh, just because it's going to get you, you know, another first rounder down the line. And there are plenty of people who will disagree with me. But I just think next season is that important for them because Steph, Clay, and Draymond are not getting any younger. Andrew, all of a sudden, is a, an extremely important X factor. So I, I wanted to um, – I, I actually – Honestly, I don't have anything to add off of what you said. Um, the Warriors certainly could – sustains the wrong word. They've got tickets sold forever. Uh, so the money-wise, they're going to be great. But just franchise-wise, like yes, this year was the reboot, but they can't suck next year. So I, I, I'm totally with you on that. Right. I wanted to um, I wanted to go back to, the, to what we were talking about with Andre. Um, because I think your point, which was really good, was just this idea of like Andre had the kind of the not only the wherewithal but the the guts and the courage to to make this about how he's going to take care of his last contract, and he's succeeded with flying colors. There's no doubt about that. And you were saying, well, maybe um, you know the younger kids, the Jaws and whatever, like they should they should think that way and they should pay attention, and so. What I wanted to talk a little bit about was what what is what does that look like? Like what what does the young player who is under contract, really under control for up to seven years, what does that look like? And I'm thinking about two guys who are on losing teams who a contender might take a look at if they were on the buyout market in Tristan Thompson and and uh, and Bobby Portis, who both have come out and said. Uh, either themselves or through their agents, that they will not take a buyout. And sort of the Hoosier, you know, I grew up watching Hoosier kind of sport fan who is a win at all costs, team guy at all costs. They would hear that and go, wait a minute, what do you mean you don't want to play for a contender? But you don't take the buyout so you can keep your bird rights, which means you can make as much money as possible and not are not hindered by the salary cap. And I think, I think that's an example of what we're talking about here. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and that's, I mean, for one, you got to have good counsel. You got to have somebody around you. Uh, I mean, these guys don't come in knowing this stuff. I mean, we don't even know it nearly as well as we could. And, and, and someone's got to lay out the, 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 you know, dozen options that are in front of you. And, and that's what I learned through the Andre experience is that, there are, you know, conventional options and then there are outside the box options and the outside the box options can actually be executed. Um, you know, and, and I know I keep going back to the old Andre memory lane, but it's like, Joe, you know, when he had free agency in 2017, nobody in their right mind believed that he had any interest in leaving the Warriors. Um, he had to, from a human standpoint, he had to like kind of, act very robotic and disconnect from his warriors culture and relationships. And he had to, at least to a small degree, actually convince them that if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to walk. And I remember going into that summer and, and just thinking there's no way he's going anywhere. Well, next thing you know, 
he lines up meetings with the Rockets. Now he's got a meeting with the Kings. Now he's got a meeting with uh, people like that. And I'm forgetting somebody else, but um, the Lakers were on that list. And to this day, the Warriors will act like they were never afraid that he was going to bounce. Well, okay, that's fine. But you also upped your offer by $12 million by the time it was all said and done and gave him the fully guaranteed third year that was not there in the beginning. Uh, it's just like the Miami thing. You know, he, he, he was tactical and he, he made the moves that forced the other side to respond. And I do think that for all these players, that is certainly a, a blueprint to follow. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I mean, that's the kind of guy that you want being the VP of a union. If you are, um, you know, if, if you're a player, I mean, that's, and that's somebody, I mean, you're right. I think when you look back at, uh, at his career, especially whenever it is that he does retire, I would imagine this is definitely his last contract. Um, I think he'll serve as a case study for sort of how you do this. Um, and it's easier to do as a veteran. It's easier to do after you've already made many, many, many millions of dollars. You've won some rings, and so now, what, now you're looking at career longevity and trying to make uh, as much as you can at the end. Um, he was he was able to do all that, and uh, it's just, I mean, yeah, well, what a way to end up. I mean, he's not going to be back with the Warriors, but he is going to get to finish his career. In, uh, on South beach in an organization that wants to win and he's going to be paid handsomely to do it. No question. All right, brother. Next time we talk, um, we will have been, uh, in, in the same space for once Chicago all-star weekend coming at you. So looking forward to that. Um, should have a good time. Should be a good time. Uh, I don't know when we're going to pod since that's the, uh, travel getting back home at that point, but appreciate you, brother. We'll talk to you next time. Yep. Can't wait.